All right. Good to be back with you this morning. Uh, Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to be. I told you I think we were going to have three sermons in the book of Romans 8, but I think it's going to be four, you know, just too good. So uh, this is two, and uh, that's where we'll be. So Romans 8, turn your Bibles, if you have them, to there. Um, so a couple weeks ago, like, I think maybe two weeks ago, um, uh, my basement is kind of newly finished, and so we've got this playroom down there, and, and all, the, all the four, uh, three of my kids are playing down there, and Ember, who is my almost three-year-old, can't decide if she wants to be down there or up, and so she's going up and down, up and down, up and down, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. And so she was up at the moment, and we had her and Eli, and we were playing upstairs, and while the big kids were downstairs, and Ember decided that she wanted to go downstairs, and so I said, okay, open the door for her. She went, go down on your bottom, right, because I don't like steps, and shut the door, go back, I'm holding Eli, uh, and we're playing, when all of a sudden, we're here. <laughs> Can't I look at each other? And we listen. Did something just, you know, drop, or did someone fall down the stairs? <laughs> So we listen, we hear the cry, and immediately both jump up, we're running toward the door, I've got Eli like a football in my hand, we're running toward the door, Kate beats me there, but she's got socks on and it's a hardwood floor, and she's running, she goes to grab the doorknob and just keeps going, and keeps going and slides, hits the ground, and so now I'm at the door trying to make the decision, do I help her or do I go downstairs and help the kid? I went and helped the kid. I got Eli. We're going down the stairs. Now he's crying. He's freaking out. He don't know what's going on. He's crying. Go down there. She, you know, I don't know how many steps she fell down. She's, she's crying. She, she's fine. We're helping her. And then Kate crawls on the floor and pokes her head out the door. Is she okay? <laughs> we're good. It was pretty funny. Pretty funny moment. Babies cry. Children cry because that's all they know to do, because they know when they cry that a mommy or a daddy is coming to help them. They know in that moment the cry that someone is coming to their aid. It is the most natural instinct of a child to cry. From the moment you come out of your mother's womb, you come out crying. So what then are we to make of the reality, the fact that countless stories, men and women, some in this very room who have gone to orphanages to pick up their new children, only to discover hundreds of children in cribs sitting in their own waist and filthy diapers and hear the eerie sound of silence. We can only conclude that children who have been neglected long enough No longer cry. Children who have cried and their cries have gone unanswered long enough eventually stop crying because they know nobody is coming. Our text this morning is one of the most profound, encouraging, and challenging texts in all of Scripture. It is a text about our own adoption. A text that reminds us that we were all born as spiritual orphans, having no one to cry to, no one to come and help. But thanks be to God, Romans 8 tells us that orphan is not the end of our story. Read with me in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 12. 
Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says these words. So then, brothers, we are not debtors. We are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. I want you to see this morning that when you come to Christ, when you are adopted into the family of God, you receive four new things. Four new things I want us to realize that happened this morning from this text. One, first, we get a new identity. We have a new identity. You know, identity seems to us to be everything. Not just today, but for all time. How we identify ourselves what we think about ourselves, what group or class of people we consider ourselves to be in defines who we are. Uh, it defines how we live, how we act, how we dress. We all struggle with this idea of identity. Right? And it's really easy to see in our kids. Our kids want to be seen. They want to be recognized. They want to be cool. They want to be expressive. And so they join sports clubs. They, they join clubs. They dress a certain way. They find acceptance by certain groups. And they begin to model their life and their actions and the way they talk and their whole existence based off what that group does and that group's slang. We do this in an effort to belong. It is the reason there is such a thing as peer pressure. I'm only pressured to do something I don't want to do because I want to belong to that group that's pressuring me to do it. We have some say over our identity, right? Like we can morph our identity and change it. We can choose how we want to identify. We can choose to identify with certain groups. That's why if you attack someone and their identity, they get really mad, right? They get really defensive. They lose it on you because you're attacking who I am at my core. Our identity is important to us, and because it is so central to who we are, the things we think about, the choices we make, the dress, the way we dress, the way we talk, the way we live flows from our identity. And so we must choose our identity wisely because it changes everything about our life. And so as Christians, what should our identity first and foremost be? What are we to identify as? You know, a lot of times in Christian circles, you'll hear this language of, you know, you've got to find your identity in Christ. Right? You know, you've, you've got to find your identity in Christ, that sort of thing. You have to know who you are in Christ. But what does that mean? Look at verses 14 real quick. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons. If you're led by the Spirit, you're a son. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit bears witness with our spirit. If we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. You see, our identity as Christians is first and foremost that we are children who have been adopted into the family of God. Now understand, 
God did not have to do this. Right? God did not have to do this. He could, have, he could have sent Jesus to die on the cross. He could have made a way for us to be forgiven. He could have made us right with him. Uh, our relationship could have been restored. But he could have just simply brought us to heaven as a king to a servant or as a shepherd to a sheep or a, a king to its citizens. But that is not what God wants, merely, to bring us as his sheep or as his servants or citizens. His desire was not simply to forgive us and make us a part of his kingdom. His desire was to forgive us and make us a part of his family. You see, our identity as Christians is as sons and daughters of the king. Now, you need to understand something about adoption because there is some confusion around it. So often when, when someone knows maybe that you have adopted kids in your family, they might you know, not know all of your kids, and they might come up to you and they say, hey, which ones are your real kids? Which, one, which, which ones of, of your kids are your real ones? And there is this odd notion that children, sometimes who come into a home through adoption, the idea is that they're not their real parents. And maybe when they get older, they struggle with that, and they go looking for their quote-unquote real parents. But those are wrong, anti-biblical, anti-gospel ways of thinking. Adoption, understand this, adoption in the New Testament is not an adjective. When you look in the Greek, the word for adoption is not an adjective. That means that it is not describing something. It is not describing or giving a caveat to the type of child this is. It's not like you're saying, these are my adopted kids and these are my real kids. That would be like saying, hey, this is my son who was premature. This is my premature son because he was born four weeks early. His name's Lewin. Here's my premature son and here's the rest of my kids. We don't do that. Why would we do that? The nature of how a child comes into our family does not matter. What matters is that this is my child. You see, in the New Testament, the word adoption is not an adjective. It is a past tense verb. It is an action that has happened one time in the past. They were adopted. They're not my adopted children. They were adopted. So what does that mean? It is not an adjective. It is a past tense verb. Adoption is not describing a different kind of child in one's family, a lesser child. It is simply describing how they entered. So here's my point. There are no adopted children in this church. There is not one adopted child in this church. But praise God, there are lots of children who have come into families through adoption. You understand what I'm saying? There are no adopted children in this room. There are simply children who have come into families through adoption. In the same way, there are no adopted children in the kingdom of Christ. There are only children who arrived into God's family through adoption. God does not see you as his adopted child. He doesn't say, oh yeah, these are my adopted kids. He sees you merely, simply, as a child whom he loves, a child whom he is pleased with. He sees you simply as a son or a daughter. How you got into his family is unimportant. 
The fact that you are in his family is all that matters. So as Christians, we have a new identity. We are children of God, not just forgiven, not just citizens, not just sheep or servants. We are sons and daughters. And that comes with no qualifications, no reservations, and no caveats. We are not his adopted children. We are his children who happen to have come by the way of adoption. Y'all tracking with me? Okay. Don't talk to me. Make sure you're there. So we have a new identity, an identity as children of God, which leads to a new intimacy, a new intimacy. You see, a child in a family has a lot of privileges, but the greatest privilege of a child is access. You see, a child can wake you up in the middle of the night because they had a bad dream, with, and with all of the affection in the world, you will get up cold now because you're out of your covers. Pick them up, tell them it's okay, look them in the eyes, kiss them on their face, lay them back in their bed and tuck them in, tell them that everything's going to be okay. And you don't get mad about that. But if your neighbor knocks on your door at 3 a.m. to wake you up to say, I had a bad dream. Grow up, buddy. (laughs) Don't care. Good night. But if your child again and again says, I got to go potty, that's what Lewin does every night, three times a night, Dad, I got to go potty, okay? You know how to go by yourself, but I'm happy to walk with you. Lay him back in his bed. A child can interrupt an important meeting. A child can ask what's for supper while they are watching you make what's for supper. A child can run up and jump on your lap anytime they want and ask anything because there's an intimacy between a parent and a child like nothing in this world. Verse 15 tells us that adoption is the opposite of fear. And so here's the point. The greatest privilege of a child is access without fear of rejection. You have access to your father without fear of rejection because no matter how annoying your kid might be, no matter how many times they ask the same question, And the questions they know the answer to, no matter how many times they cry, they wake you up or take you for granted, a child can always come to their parent. In 2015, the Carolina Panthers went to the Super Bowl. And in the post-game press conference after they lost, Ted Ginn, the wide receiver's little, I don't know, couple-year-old son, comes walking up to him on national television in front of all these reporters. And instead of saying, shoo, shoo, go back. He said, hold on one minute, stopped the press conference, went and picked up his son and brought him to the podium, then continued. And I think that kid knew something we sometimes forget as children in the family of God, that we have unfettered access, unfettered access to God anytime we want. There is nothing going on in God's world that is more important or more pressing than you. We do not have to live in fear that God is going to be annoyed with us or God is going to be upset with us. We have his full undivided attention at the drop of a hat. You see, the only person who can wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is his child, and we have that sort of access. The access that we can wake up the king of the universe without any fear that we might upset him. 
You see, God is not just your king or your shepherd or your God. He is your father. He is the one you run to. He is the one you cry to. He is the one you complain to. He is the one you ask way too many questions of. He is the one you tell your bad dreams about. He is the one you share your hopes and your fears and your worries. And he is the one you, you can take your failures to. And never be afraid of rejection because he's your daddy. And this becomes all too clear when we read verse 15. When he says, you have received the spirit of slavery, not to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now what is this Abba, Father cry? Well, in every language, when babies begin to say their first words, they begin to say things like, duh, 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 duh. Dad, 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 dad. And they begin to put together that dad, 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 dad means my daddy. They begin to understand that ma, 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 ma means my mommy. They begin to put those together when the same was true in every language on earth. And in Aramaic, the word is not dad, dad, but Abba. And so you had little kids learning to talk saying Abba, Abba, Baba, Abba, Baba, Abba, Abba. Little kids learning that ah-ba-ba-ba means that is my daddy. And any time that I am in pain or I am in distress, I can cry, Abba, knowing my daddy will come. You see, in those moments in our lives when we know we are in need of a father to come and help us, to come intervene, but we do not have the words to say, when we don't know how to articulate what the problem is or what's going on, or we don't have the energy to, talk, to explain to God the whole situation, and all we have to do is cry out, Father, Abba, Daddy, and He comes running. The Bible tells us that sometimes we pray with groans too deep for words, because all we know to say is to moan and barely get out, Abba, Daddy, Father. And it is that sort of cry that all parents know and come running after. You see, here's the point. When you are in need and in pain and in distress, when you need help, if the Spirit of God lives inside of you, you know who to cry to. If you have been adopted into the family of God in moments of havoc and stress in your life, you know who to cry to. You know that there is someone who, if you cry, will answer. You know that you have a father who hears and who will come running. You know that you have a father who will never leave or forsake you, no matter what you're crying over. The point is, you know who to cry to. That if you are a Christian in your hour of need, you know who to call. And you know that all you have to do is say, Daddy, I need you, and he's there. You know, one of the weird things about being a parent is that you know your kids cry. You could be in a crowded room in a mall or somewhere where there's a bunch of people, kids yelling and screaming everywhere, but if your kid cries, you will distinctly hear it above all the rest, right? And you will know by the nature of that cry if it's serious or not. And so you might be standing in there and go, no, not mine. No, not mine. Oh, that's mine. And you will know immediately if you need to go running. And if you need to go after them, and if you are like my wife, you might run too far in your socks and just slide on past the problem. 
but you as a parent will run through fire. You will run into danger to save or protect or comfort your child. And if God, who is the perfect father, is he not even better than us? Here's our cries. I remember reading the story a few years back about a man who was uh, taking his son and going hiking and camping up uh, out west. And his son had gotten up before his father and he was out of the tent. And his dad woke up to the screams of his son who he saw was in the clutches of a grizzly bear. And that father, doing the only thing he knew to do, ran at the grizzly bear with no gun or knife or nothing but his bare hands to save his son. And somehow the fury of a father's love ran off the grizzly bear with his bare hands and saved his son. Because that's what fathers do when their children cry. That's what parents do when their children cry. They run into danger. And has God not done that? Has God not run toward danger in order to save us? Did God not run toward a, to the curse of sin and a cross to die in order to save us? To rescue us? And if he's done that already, how will he not again and again and again run into danger to rescue us? You see, we have this sort of closeness with God as children in his family. He knows our cry, and we know to cry to him. And we know in these moments of helplessness and distress, we know to cry out to a father in heaven because the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us reminds us of our adoption, reminds us of our sonship reminds us that we are children and that we have unhindered, unfettered access to a father who comes running when we call. The Abba cry is something only children with fathers know to do. Only with children who have begun to say, dad, 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 and have have equated that with that's my daddy. Know to cry, dada, and know that he comes running. An adopted child has a new identity and a new intimacy, and also they have a new inheritance. You see, we have been adopted into the family of God, and, and we are God's children, but what are the implications of that truth? It means that we have the same status before the Father that Jesus does. Jesus is who? Jesus is the Son of God, right? And if we have been made the sons of God, we are not lesser sons than Jesus. We are full sons. And Paul makes this point clear. He says, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs. Heirs of God and fellow. Side by side, fellow heirs. Christ. We also see in the book of Hebrews, Jesus says, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. Jesus, the Son of God, is not ashamed to call you and I brothers. If God is now our Father and Jesus is our elder brother, and if Jesus' inheritance is a restored kingdom, the whole world made right, made new, with the throne for which Jesus will reign as a king forever, then in the same way, we are heirs to that same throne. First Peter says that God has made us a royal priesthood. God has adopted us into his family and made us royalty. The best way I know to illustrate this is obviously Narnia. Because in the first book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, these four Pevensey children come into Narnia through the wardrobe, and 
they uh, don't know anything about Aslan. Aslan's the great lion, the Jesus figure of the book. And uh, through, they come and everyone, you know, Aslan's on the move and everyone knows that now they're going to defeat the great evil in the world. And, and through Aslan's help and through him giving his life to save one of them as a betrayer, uh, uh, they fight off the white witch, kill the, kill the evil witch, and winter begins to go away. Spring comes back and the kingdom of Narnia is restored. But at the end of the book, Aslan, who is the creator of Narnia, who is the great king, the great lion, what does he do but crowns each of these four Pevensey children as kings and queens over all of Narnia? Everyone knows Aslan is the ruler. Aslan is God. Aslan is Jesus. Aslan is the great high king. But yet, he puts four children on his throne to rule alongside of him. And would you not know that Jesus is doing the very same thing? Restoring a kingdom to which he does not say, come and serve me, hand and foot, but come and rule and reign with me. For the world of my inheritance is also yours. As adopted children, what belongs to Jesus now also belongs to us. God in adopting us has made us royalty and has given us the whole world as an inheritance. There's a day coming, a future kingdom coming. And we're going to be resurrected like him. And as Adam failed to do in the garden, to take dominion of the world, we, alongside of Jesus, will forever take dominion of the cosmos with him. One more quick note. The reason the Bible says sons and not sons and daughters is because at that time it was sons who received the inheritance, particularly the firstborn son who would receive most of the inheritance and pass on the family name. And so the point is that whether you are a boy or a girl, a firstborn or a lastborn, that in the kingdom of God, everyone is treated as a firstborn son in the kingdom of Christ, and there is no partiality. Whether you came by physical birth or adoption, if you are in the kingdom of Christ, you are full heirs. So when we come to Christ, we have a new identity as children of adoption. We have a new intimacy because we can cry, Abba, Father. And we have a new inheritance as heirs to a throne with our elder brother, Jesus. And finally, we now have a new perspective. We have a new perspective. See, the Bible tells us in the book of James that if you want to know if you have true saving faith, you can know that by how your life has been changed in the things that you do. You want to know you have faith? It will be displayed in your life, in your works, is James' point of the whole book. And he gets specific at one point, and he says, you could know if you have real, genuine, saving faith if you care for widows and orphans in their distress. What is the evidence that you have saving faith? It is that because Jesus cares about orphans, because Jesus' whole mission is dying on a cross to, to rescue orphans like you and me, right? Jesus' mission is about rescuing orphans like you and me. You can know you have faith if you are on mission with Jesus about rescuing orphans. This whole passage in Romans 8 really is about how the Spirit is at work in us. And that the Spirit is at work within you when you recognize where Jesus is. Track with me for a moment. If the Spirit is at work inside of you, you understand where Jesus is at and where Jesus is working and what he is doing. And wherever he is, you will be. 
And what does Jesus tell us that he is with the least of these, right? You know the passage in Matthew that he is with the least of these, those poor, broken, without clothes, without food. He is with the least of these. And what does he call those least of these? My brothers and sisters. When you feed them, you feed me. See, a church that understands their own adoption as children of God will be with Jesus seeking to rescue those who have been orphaned as we once were. A church that understands that we've been adopted into the kingdom of Christ will be with Jesus seeking to rescue those who have been orphaned as we once were. You see, I want you to understand something. Satan and the principalities and powers of darkness hate things created in the image of God. Satan and the principalities and powers of darkness hate the image of God and they hate babies. You understand, let me be clear, the satanic powers want to grind the image of God to dust. They want to grind little children to dust. And they don't care if they do it through abortion or through a divorce culture or through AIDS or malaria or economic collapse. They want to destroy the image of God. They want to destroy these little helpless ones. They no longer want to hear the Abba Father cries of little babies to their mommies and daddies because every cry, the powers of darkness are again reminded that they are being defeated from an infant cry in Bethlehem. And so they want to shut them up. And so they are working to destroy the precious ones to our Savior, the ones he calls his little brothers and sisters. Right now, there are trash bags in downtown Cincinnati marked medical waste that are filled with the bodies of the brothers and sisters of Jesus. Right now, in Thailand, there are 10-year-old girls waiting in a room to be raped by American businessmen, and they are the little sisters of Jesus. Right now, the fastest growing business in the world, the fastest growing business in the world, $32 billion a year, is human trafficking. And there are 800,000 people forced into human trafficking every single year, and they are the brothers and sisters of Jesus. Right now, there are little boys and little girls in Russia and China and in Ethiopia and in Alabama and in Warren County waiting in a group home. And they are getting older and older, and they are wondering, will there ever be a mommy or a daddy who might love me? Is there ever a family who's going to love me? Right now, there are little special needs boys and little special needs girls who are getting passed over again and again because families want a normal kid. And yet these are the brothers and sisters of Jesus who nobody wants. If you want to know if the Spirit lives inside of you and you are following Christ with genuine faith, James says a pure and undefined religion is that you care for widows and orphans in their distress. The answer is not, is the Spirit of God living in with me? Do I have genuine faith? The answer is not, oh, I cry when my favorite hymn is played. That's not the answer. It's not, oh, I can give you all these theological propositions and I can argue this or that. The answer is, do you listen to the Abba cries of children in their distress? 
Orphan care is a part of the mission of God. Orphan care is at the very heart of the gospel. This is not some secondary side issue. This is a gospel issue. That everyone in this congregation, everyone who is believing in Jesus, who sits in this room, you are called to orphan care. Now, that, may, that doesn't mean you're called to adoption. Let me be clear. That doesn't mean you're called to adopt. Now, many of you, many of you are. Many of you need to get on it because you are being led and called to that and you're fighting it. But every single one of us are called to serve and rescue the fatherless. It is not a matter of you leaving here today asking the question, is God calling me to orphan care? It is a matter of how is God calling me to orphan care? There are some men in this room right now who God is calling you to do spiritual warfare and go home to your wife and say, honey, we need to wrestle with demons and decide is God calling us to add another child to this family and adopt. There are others of you, and God is calling you to use your resources, whether that is your time and to help families babysit so that they can go take classes and get registered for foster care, or that you might babysit them as they travel across the country or the world to go pick up their new kids. There are some of you, God is calling you to, to use your resource to help someone else adopt. Maybe God is calling you to say, you know what, we are not going to take that family trip to Disney World this year because instead we want to see orphans become beloved children in a new family. You can participate in the mission of Christ by hearing the cries of orphans. And as we do, as we hear their cries and rescue them, we are picturing the gospel itself. Because adoption is at the heart of the gospel. Adoption is a gospel issue. It is a gospel mandate. God has put in our congregation so many people with a heart for this. So many people who have heard the Abba cries of orphans because there are so many people in our church who have adopted and uh, who have been adopted themselves or have brought children into their home or have served others and helped them make that happen. And so there are children running around in this church this morning who would have probably never heard the name of Jesus, but they have heard because you brought them home. There are little children in this church who are now a part of the kingdom of God because the mission of God was lived out in you as you made them a part of your family or helped someone make them a part of your family. Orphan care brings children into homes and will expose them to a gospel in ways they most likely would have never heard it had they been left fatherless. Do you remember singing, Jesus loves the children of the world? All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. When the satanic powers and powers and principalities of darkness see in our church white mothers kissing little black faces and black fathers kissing little white faces, and when they see, when the powers of darkness see mothers and, kiss, and fathers kissing special needs children, the powers of darkness are reminded of a gospel that makes a new family of every tribe, tongue, and nation, and they're reminded that they are losing. When the satanic powers see us caring for children to whom the world says are worthless, the world says they're worthless because they have a cleft palate. The world says they are worthless because they have Down syndrome. But the world says they are worthless because they have AIDS or that they are too old to be adopted. When Satan sees that, that he sees the testimony that he is being destroyed 
that he's been defeated and that all of his efforts are in vain because when we cry out, Abba, Father, the devil cannot touch us. He's lost. So why on earth, church, would we not all join together and crushing the head of the serpent through orphan care? How might God be calling you this morning to orphan care? How might he be calling you to help the fatherless? You see, those orphans who have been adopted into new and forever families, they now know how to say, Abba, where they were once ignored, now they have been rescued. The question this morning, two questions. Maybe this morning, the Spirit of God is not inside of you crying, Abba, Father, because he's not there, because you have not been adopted into the family of God. Maybe you've been religious, maybe you've tried to be a good person, maybe you've been in or around church, but you yourself have not been adopted into the family of God. This morning, you can cry, Abba, Father, and he will rescue you. He will make you a part of a new family where everyone in here will become your brothers and sisters. And we don't just say that because that's like a religious thing. We say that because it's true. That there might be people in my physical blood family that I don't spend eternity with, but I will spend eternity with you because you're my brothers and sisters in Christ. And that means a whole heck of a lot more than the blood flowing through my veins. So this morning, you can be brought into his family. You cry out, Abba, Father, and he'll bring you home. And there are some of you this morning, you are being led to some sort of orphan care, and maybe that is taking the first steps of becoming a foster parent. Maybe that is taking the first steps of seeking adoption. Maybe that is reaching out to some families you know are doing that, or find some families that are doing that and financially help them. Or maybe that means you ba- provide babysitting or some respite, some take a break, right, because it's hard. Whatever, maybe you just get a, you want to become a prayer warrior for that ever. Whatever the case may be, it is not the job of some of us in this room to care for orphans. It is the job of every one of us in this room to do it because it is at the heart of the gospel. So how might God be calling you to do that? If you're here this morning and you've not been adopted into the family of God, I'm going to stand right there. Don't you wait. When we start singing, you run up here. You say, Brent, I've been religious. I've been trying to be good. I've done whatever, or I've been bad. I've been horrible. But I want to be part of the family of God. You come free of charge right now. If you're here this morning and you want to get involved in orphan care, come find me. We'll figure it out together. Pray. Father, this morning, we are sons and daughters to the king of the universe. And we get to cry, daddy, to you anytime we want. And what a privilege it is to have that sort of access. God, would you make our church a hub or a center for orphan care to take care of these children who have been abandoned and let us bring them here, let us love them and expose them to Jesus and they might have a loving home and a loving forever home in the arms of a Savior. Help us to be a part of that and however you might be calling us to that. But Father, for that one or two in this room, however many in this room who have not been a part of the family of God, who have not been adopted, because they thought they could be a good person. Because they thought that they were just trying to be religious. You show them this morning that you sent your son to die for them, to make them sons, to make them daughters. God, this morning, would you give them the courage to run down here and say, Brent, I don't know what I'm doing, but I want to be adopted into the family of God. Show me how.
God, give people the courage to do that this morning. Give people the courage to respond to the Spirit's call to be a part of orphan care. Lead us this morning, Father. We pray these things in Christ's name. All people said, stand and sing.